This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge uh, in here on the Chorus Radio Network. Uh, I've got some time for your calls here. You want to jump in in Calgary, it's 403-974-8255. In Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Uh, just had a text here. We, we mentioned earlier the uh, federal gun bill and the uh, province's plans to kind of intercede on that. Uh, Texter says, Rob, I doubt the Liberals even care if that gun bill passes. They just wanted the headlines and talking heads to make it seem like they're doing something. It goes on to say the mental gymnastics a person has to go through after legally owned firearms to go after legally owned firearms and reducing punishments and ignoring the real criminals is mind-boggling. Yeah, there's a lot to that. A, I think, yes, it's unlikely that this gun bill is going to pass in this session of the, the uh, parliament, given how much time is left. So I think it is more about making it, it seem as though they're doing something. It's no coincidence, right, that you had this gun bill come off the heels of that uh, announcement about public transit funding. $15 billion for public transit. Most of it's not going to come until the year 2026. But both of these initiatives really aimed at, at voters in big cities. And with the likelihood of an election sometime this year, it's, it's certainly no coincidence. Now, again, and something else that this texter mentions that's interesting, the gun bill has provisions in it that would increase the penalties for gun smuggling. So that's actually a positive. But there was a separate piece of legislation that the liberals introduced, which, again, who knows if that'll pass in time. Uh, but it's meant as kind of a, a criminal reform sort of bill. And it's actually going to remove a lot of the mandatory minimums that exist on other crimes, including some gun crimes. So we've got two separate pieces of legislation that do two different things. On the one hand, the liberals want to increase the penalty for certain gun crimes. On the other hand, they want to reduce the penalty for certain gun crimes. Fine, fair enough. I mean, if you want to make an argument one way or the other, then go ahead and do so. And there were those who say, you know, we think our whole approach to criminal justice and just throwing tough penalties at criminals, that's not the way to go, etc., you can make that argument, at least it's consistent. I don't know if a lot of folks would, would buy into that, but it's a consistent argument. And on the other hand, if you want to say, hey, we got to get tough on criminals, put them in jail longer, etc., again, that's a consistent position. But the liberals are trying to do both here, and that certainly does require a lot of mental gymnastics. Absolutely. Anyway, so you want to jump in on that. Something else I wanted to mention as well, because we talked a little bit yesterday about uh, the rallies that occurred over the weekend. And I guess it's worth noting that there were really essentially a couple of different rallies. So there were supporters of this uh, this pastor from, from Grace Life Church, who was at the remand center because he's uh, refused to follow these injunctions regarding to in-person, regarding in-person church services. So he's at the remand center. Uh, some of his supporters held a rally outside of the remand center. 
But there was also a separate rally that was at the Alberta legislature, uh, some group calling itself Walk for Freedom Alberta. Now, it's that rally where there were the, the tiki torches that were being carried, which certainly seemed to have echoes of Charlottesville. There were some other groups that were a part of that. And so that's the, the rally that's received a lot of attention. And in fact, the premier put out a statement yesterday regarding this because uh, there, there had been some criticism that the province had nothing to say about all of that. Uh, Leela uh, here, uh, one of the cabinet ministers, was at an announcement yesterday. She was asked about it, and I think she wasn't really sure how to respond since the premier hadn't really said anything. So the premier did put out a statement late yesterday, and I wanted to read it to you. And, and get your sense whether you feel this needs to be said, whether he's striking the right balance here. He says, Albertans value the constitutionally protected freedoms of speech and assembly. This weekend, protesters gathered at the Alberta legislature to oppose our government's public health measures that are in place to protect the vulnerable and our hospitals from the COVID-19 pandemic. I understand that publicity for this event incorporated an image taken from the notorious 2017 Charlottesville torch rally, which was an explicitly white supremacist event. Prominent racists promoted Saturday's protests at the legislature, and individuals attended the event from known hate groups like Soldiers of Odin and Urban Infidels. I condemn these voices of bigotry in the strongest possible terms. Albertans believe in the dignity of every human being and have no time for these voices of division and hate or the symbols that they represent. Like any large protest, there was likely a range of perspectives and motivations amongst those who attended. There was no doubt that some came just to register their opposition to public health measures, which is their democratic right. But these people also have a responsibility to disassociate themselves from the extremists who peddle hatred and division who played a role in this event. So, again, it, you know, and it is often the case these days with the premier, it, it's tough for him to find that, that Goldilocks zone where, you know, some who feel that this was too little too late, others feeling like maybe this is a, an overreaction of why did he need to say anything. Ultimately, I, I think he, he did need to say something. I, I do think that was the right thing to say. Now, that was posted at, what, 5.30 yesterday afternoon. Sure, he could have done it eight hours earlier. But I think the point is that, that he said what needed to be said. I do think that there are groups who are using the, the debate around the pandemic and lockdown measures and restrictions as kind of an excuse for advancing other agendas. I, I do think that's a part of it. You know, like I said, I think there's a distinction to be made between some of these groups or with the legislature and, and those who are at uh, the remand center. So there's a reasonable conversation to be had about what kind of restrictions need to be in place in Alberta, what should be the focus of our pandemic response, does the Alberta government have it right at the moment? Are we going too slow? Are we going too fast? Reasonable people can disagree over these things. But to uh, evoke the Charlottesville rally to make a point of having those reminders of that in, in certain groups with different agendas, that, that's going beyond, I think, any reasonable conversation about uh, public health measures. So, yes, I think it's important for the premier to point out that Albertans have and value constitutionally protected freedom of speech and assembly. I think it's also important for our leaders to condemn that kind of bigotry and to draw a distinction between the two. It's not bigoted to have a position, even a contrarian position, on public health measures. 
And so a protest that's designed to say, hey, we think the province needs to ease measures, or even a protest to say the province isn't doing enough, that, that's entirely legitimate. So anyway, you want to react to uh, what the premier had to say, or, or for that matter, just you know where we're at in Alberta. We've had some easing of restrictions, but we got a long way to go still. Some suggestion today from Dr. Dina Hinchon clarifying some of her remarks yesterday uh, that we could still have some easing of restrictions as of this coming Monday, March the 1st. No decision has been made yet, but she certainly seemed to imply that even if they made a decision, that we'd have to wait another week to give everybody seven days uh, heads up. But clarifying that today, saying that, no, if we're in a position to ease restrictions, we'll probably be able to do that on March 1st. So that would be the three weeks leeway from February 8th, the first phase of the easing of restrictions, to potentially the second phase coming up on uh, March 1st. So obviously this, this whole situation with this Grace Life Church and now there's another church in Calgary, I believe, that, that's kind of doing the same thing in solidarity. I think that that's raised some of the questions uh, around the current state of public health restrictions, whether we need to, if we're going to have restrictions, enforce them more strictly. And then what happens if we have to go backward? Because I think for some, and this church is, is uh, emblematic of that, some are just done. That that's it. We've had enough. We're maxed out. We're not interested in following all of this anymore. So that's potentially problematic, I think, for the government. Because I do think they're, they're trying to be balanced in their approach. They don't always get it right. And I think maybe you could fault them both ways. If you look at uh, the, this pandemic in its totality, times when they've been too cautious, maybe times when they've rushed ahead more than they should. It's really, really tricky to get this kind of thing right, and you're going to get criticized on both sides. That comes with the territory, mind you. You want to be in government. You want to be the, the boss. Be prepared to, to take ownership and, and defend your decisions. So we got some of that to discuss. Got a few other things I want to get to, but uh, we can open the phone lines up here again in Calgary, 403-974-8255. If you're in Edmonton, you can reach us, 780-496-0063. Maybe we'll do. We'll take our break here, and we'll get that out of the way. We'll come back. Uh, an opportunity for you to jump in. Like I said, a few other things uh, we can get to here as well. My name is Rob Breckenridge. You're listening to The Chorus Radio Network. All right, welcome back. So we're winding down this hour, an opportunity uh, for you to jump in. Weigh in on uh, some of what we discussed here today, or maybe something else you want to uh, get off your chest. But let's go to the phones without any further ado, and we'll start here with David. David, good morning. Welcome to the program. Hey, good morning. How are you today? Hey, David. Pretty good. Yeah, so um, I, I keep hearing these things in the news about uh, people called in those churches, and they're supposed to be racist and stuff like that. And um, I, don't, I don't see racism in there. I, I just don't understand. I didn't see anybody putting their hands up and and saying white power or anything like that. I think they were just demonstrating. I just don't, I just don't get it what they see. Well, hang on. Well, are we, cause there, were, there were sort of two different events, right? There was the group that was at the remand center to show support for the pastor, and there was the, the other event at the legislature, and that's what the premier was, was talking about. Yes, I understand that, but we're, okay. we're, I, I, I know both of them, and I actually support both of the uh, demonstrations. Like, it's just, I, I don't see where... Uh, bringing torches is supposed to be racist, or were anybody hearing anybody saying white power or or down with minorities or anything like that? I I I don't see any videos saying that. 
Mm-hmm. If you can show me that, then I can say, okay, well, they, there we go. There's some bad apples in there. But, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm an immigrant myself, and I, 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 I watch a lot of those videos, actually, and I don't, I don't remember seeing any of those ladies or gentlemen there and uh, putting their hands up like, like Nazis or whatever, like in the United States. A good example, in the United States, uh, they were doing that. They had the cloaks and they had their 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 colors and they were, you know, they were they were screaming white power. I I, I, don't, I didn't see that at all. So uh, how how can some churches turn out to be a bunch of racists? I, I just don't right. I, I, I don't see it. Yeah, yeah. No, I get what you're saying, David. Appreciate the phone call. And yeah, again, and I, I don't think the premier is linking these churches to these groups. Again, back to what the premier said in his statement. Uh, He said that there were some groups, known hate groups, he says, like Soldiers of Odin and Urban Infidels, who were involved in promoting that event at the legislature. The point about the torches, and obviously torches aren't inherently racist items, or I guess we could fault the stores for selling them. He says, I understand the publicity for this event incorporated an image apparently taken from the notorious 2017 Charlottesville torch rally. So that, that's where there would be a connection. I'm not sure why anyone would want to invoke that. But if you're posting images from that and then encouraging people to bring torches, it certainly sounds like you're trying to somehow draw inspiration from that or recreate that, I guess. But again, look, I wasn't at the rally, so I don't know if anybody was saying racist things or wearing racist uh, slogans on, on their shirts or anything like that, so... Yeah, if someone was there, they could they could speak more directly to that. Let's get back to the phones, though. This is Don. Don, welcome to the program. Hi, Rob. Um, I think uh, when you're talking about lucid dreaming, uh, if you actually get into it, it's it's quite uh, it's quite amazing. You'd never get you'd never want to play a video game again. But uh, the other thing I wanted to comment on is uh, when I was younger, I had a dream that uh, China came into what we know as Canada today. And then I found out as I got older, it's also the prediction is in the book of Revelation talks about an army of 200 million. There wasn't 200 million people on the planet when the prediction was made. But um, I think we got to be really careful what we're doing with China. I think we're playing a really dangerous game. If the United States, for whatever reason, is not around to protect us or the government switches to the government that's in power right now. Uh, Joe was talking about having China run the United States electrical uh, system across the grid a few weeks ago. Um, anyway, it's just, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting time that we're going into, but, um, and my last comment is the, the guy that's in prison, I sent a text in about it, but, uh, maybe he can help save some uh, people and turn their lives around while he's in there and work for, do the work that he may be required to do. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, the remand center is not a prison, so nobody in there has been convicted of a crime. <laughs> Uh, so it's important to point that out. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, look, he's he's obviously decided he needs to make a point of this for whatever reason. I, I would think that there are more productive ways of, of dealing with this situation, that that's the path he's chosen to go down. Obviously, he's, he's got some supporters. So Anyway, yeah, Don, appreciate the phone call. All right, so still got a bit of time here again, 403-974-8255. It's a number in Calgary, 780-496-0063, if you're in Edmonton. Uh, Another text here says, uh, Rob, I feel the big issue with the capacity issue with COVID-19 is that some places are supposed to follow it to a T, and then the bigger chain stores don't really follow the limits. There have been a lot of times I go into a grocery store and it's just packed. The bulk of the store is like that, too. 
Yeah, it, it's a fair question. I mean, whether it's grocery stores or malls or the big department stores, are they following the rules? Are, are they limiting the number of people who can be in the store at any time? I, I did have to go to a store recently uh, to get my son's uh, skate sharpened because fortunately now kids are able to get back on the ice and, and do that. But they were very diligent in counting the number of people that were in the store. And I was told, you just got to wait because we're at our capacity right now. So I think some stores are trying to do it. Others probably aren't. And so it does create that, that perception of a double standard, right? Anyway, let's get back to the phones. Uh, this is Rick. Rick, welcome to the program. Hey, Rob, you've got a great show. I appreciate that. But you know, want to talk about the greatest threat to Canada is a, the federal government's ideology. You know, who are we? Well, who are we? Who are we as a people? I mean, you know, there there are things out there where they talk about, you know, our prime minister really is supporting China. You know, in the, in the House of Commons, am I using the right words there, where he was absent in, in his voting on... Uh, right, he wasn't the there issue. for the vote yesterday, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's dangerous stuff. I mean, that's dangerous to uh, Western civilization. I mean, that's irresponsible, really, isn't it? I mean, I'd like to hear what your voters say, but I mean, listen, right. uh, you know, there's a big difference between between supporting a, a communist. Re- I mean, a lot of us, not everyone, but a lot of us believe that China is an issue. I mean, a big issue. And here we've got a, a prime minister and and uh, his his cabinet, not even his cabinet, but just himself. Uh, not there to vote on on genocide and come on, I mean what's going on? Uh, can I tell you this, Rob? Is I mm-hmm. I see a, a reawakening of conservatism and uh, and I and I see that because it's going to be necessary in order to stop um, you know this this thought process so we can participate in this is dangerous. Your, your earlier next earlier caller. This is dangerous stuff. I mean, we're not we're not fooling around here. But where Canada has been a sellout, you know, through this administration, the federal administration, and of course, these, uh, we talk about censorship and how it affects municipalities right here in the city of Edmonton. I can tell you now, I I feel a, a reawakening of uh, of conservatism, and only because if we don't, uh, we're continuing along. Uh, you know this thought process that we can allow, we can be part of. I mean, Justin is, is really is really showing that he's wanting to be part of that. Anyway, I've said enough. You got a great All show. Right. I'll let the uh, yeah. Rick, appreciate the phone call. Let's uh, get a couple more in here as uh, if time allows. This is Nancy. Nancy, go ahead. Yeah, I'm right here. How are you? Hi, Nancy. Good. Good. Um, I was at both rallies. I was at the remand. I'd say there was about 500 people showed up, mm-hmm. and it was awesome to see the response of people to someone being held without really a cause. Um, I'm wondering how we can fill a plane, but we can only go 15% capacity in a church. That doesn't make sense to, I'm pretty sure, the average person. And okay. then after that, I moved on to the legislative grounds, and mm-hmm. I'd say there was probably a thousand of us there, and I got there just after 
the gentleman was arrested who we should note was released and there was no charges held against him. Like he even had no idea why he was being arrested. And when asking the arresting officer why he was arrested, he had no answer. So it was just kind of foolishness and uh, inflammatory. And when I was at the rally, I actually found it super positive. Like it was amazing. Um, People there were very happy to be there. And the whole thing was surrounding, let's bust the country open and get our freedom granted back. Uh, There was nothing racist at all, like zip. And if you read the signs as you go through, all the signs were like, end the lockdown, freedom for the people. We don't need a vaccine. We have healthy bodies. Like things like that, every single sign. I would love to see you guys find a sign that said, White supremacy, down with the black. Right, and I'm not. I'm not claiming there was. Uh, okay, yeah, that's fair. Well, I'm, I wasn't I claiming that, nor was the premier claiming that. Well, a lot of Notley claimed it, and uh, actually, I spoke to a lot of the police officers there too, and they actually were very supportive of our cause. I had a couple of them even walk me to my car, and we had a really great chat on the way there. And I'm also a waitress, and I talked to. Uh, people that come in, and a lot of people are so done with all of this, they just don't know how to end it. I also work as a healthcare aide, so I'm working with the elderly, and they feel so scared and so tied up and so sad. Like, I can tell you a really. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Horrifying story. I was taking care well, of Nancy, the sorry, I'm gonna, I, I, I'll jump in. I don't want to have to cut you off halfway through your story because I'm right out of time, but I appreciate the phone call. we got to leave it there for this hour. For Edmonton audience, we'll hand it over to Oilers now. For our Calgary audience, we'll be back with more right after this. All right, welcome back. Rob Breckenridge uh, sitting in here today in 770 CHQR. Angela Cocod is uh, also sitting in today. In fact, she's sitting in for me today, uh, <laughs> coming up at uh, 1230 this afternoon. Uh, Ange, how you doing? Hey, good. Uh, actually, you just caught me um, sanitizing everything in the studio. You know, we have to do this. You don't have to deal oh, with this because... The studio, uh, I remember yeah, The studio, Please. yes. Oh, lots has changed. When you come back, eventually, you'll see a huge plexiglass wall You'll ensure that every time you walk in here, you sanitize the keyboard, the mouse. The ch- it's amazing the the high now, touch I did points. That a lot before the pandemic. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh right, okay, so yeah. it'll be no big deal for you. I uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I am like everyone else, trying to find some positives as we continue to wait for our economy to reopen. I I'm. After I heard Dr. Hinshaw yesterday say that, okay, March 1st was the date that a lot of people, businesses were saying, are we heading into the next phase of reopening the economy? And uh, she, along with Premier Kenny, they've all kind of done this hinting that there's no guarantee that on March 1st, we will move to that next phase. And that's right. that's got a lot of people once again thinking, oh my gosh, what's happening? You know, the COVID fatigue and everything else. 
Well, then, and you saw it too, and I want to share it with my listeners uh, about the tweet that Dr. Hinshaw put out today. And I'm saying this is positive because she's now saying that on March 1st, there's a good possibility that on that day, we will actually uh, reopen the economy. We won't give the the week notice that come uh, March 8th, we'll be reopening the economy. So I'm saying that's positive. Let's hope as we read between the lines that that's a, a good sign. Uh, a procurement minister, Anand, saying that by the end of this week, what, 643,000 doses of Pfizer and Moderna are going to be coming out. Uh, you know, so we're, we seem to be on track. And what was the other one? Oh, oh Tam, uh, Dr. Tam saying she's hoping to see uh, a real lifting of the most severe restrictions uh, by, well, for sure, September, but even in the springtime. So, Rob, I'm hanging on to those things because I think a lot of people are just saying, oh, wow, we are tired of the negative news. Let's find some positives. So uh, that's what I'm going to talk about. Whether or not our listeners will share in my positivity is another thing. We shall see. All right, Angela, <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, Angela Coca coming up this afternoon at 12.30 to 3.30 here. Uh, today filling in for me is uh, filling in for, well, I don't know for whom, but uh, I'll be filling in this week and, and next week, and then we'll see what happens after that. Uh, I'll let you know we, we will hear again from Dr. Hinshaw 3.30 today. And, and I think part of why, you know, there was a need to clarify yesterday, and she was asked the question by one of the reporters yesterday that, well, if, if things are going to be eased up again, how much, you know, heads up are you going to give businesses? And, and her answer was in reference to the seven days. And then she clarified today, she said, well, you know, that, that seven-day heads up was really more aimed at restaurants initially, back on, on February 8th. So we probably won't need to do that this time around. So if restrictions are going to be eased on March 1st, they can probably just be eased on March 1st. There wouldn't be a, a need for a one-week heads up. Because I think, you know, fitness centers are probably more or less ready to go and, and other businesses too. So there's there's the clarification there. And yeah, I mean, look, I think the premier is well aware that there's a real desire uh, in, in the population to at least be moving in the right direction. I, I don't think people expect that, that all restrictions are going to be lifted right now. I don't know that it would be realistic to lift all restrictions now. But hopefully we can keep moving in the right direction. I do think vaccines, you know, and I, again, I find it a little strange that at anti-lockdown protests, they're also protesting against vaccines. Like, that's our way out of this, folks. You don't like the restrictions. You don't like the vaccines. Well, I don't know. To me, it's kind of pick one. And, and I think those are going to make a big difference. Already, we're starting to see that in, in terms of, uh, you know, numbers coming down in, in long-term care. And again, look, if we can start to reduce hospitalizations by protecting more vulnerable, more vulnerable groups, that's going to give the, the province a lot of leeway when it comes to easing restrictions. So that's the direction I think we need to go. And there's, there's a lot of payoff from vaccines. So just, and, and kind of to what uh, Angela alluded to, if we could get to, uh, I got some audio clips here, Patrick, if we could... Uh, I'll get to those here. I just want to play a little bit of what uh, Anita Anand said today about uh, vaccines arriving this week, uh, and also Dr. Tam's uh, comments regarding uh, restrictions. So first of all, anyway, let me play this, clip number one. Uh, Public Services and Procurement Minister Anita Anand uh, says, this week we are going to receive a total of 643,000 doses of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, biggest shipment to date. Those numbers are going to keep going up. Here's what she had to say. This week, 
we are receiving a total of 643,000 doses of Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, the largest shipment to date, and the majority of which have already been delivered. By the end of this week, a total of 2.5 million doses will have been delivered, and another 3.5 million are arriving in the month of March. Despite a temporary disruption to supply chains, Canada will receive 6 million doses of vaccine prior to the end of March, as planned. A total of 29 million cumulative doses will be delivered before the end of June and 84 million prior to the end of September. These figures include only the two currently approved vaccines. So there's the potential that, that we could see that the Johnson & Johnson or AstraZeneca vaccines approved as well. And that might, might change the game a little bit in addition to what's coming. So we'll see. Again, you know, government assurances are just that. And I think Canadians are reasonably in a position where, you know, we'll, we'll believe it when we see it. So vaccine shipments are going to increase great. Obviously, it doesn't make up for the stumbles we've had over the last couple of months here and watching other countries pull well ahead of us. But that's that's promising. There's also the question, too, by the way, and we're going to discuss it on the program tomorrow. Does it make sense to to maybe do similar to what the UK is doing and space out the second dose a little bit? So if you look, say, from from June to to September, if we're going to have 12 million uh, vaccines in Canada by June, should we vaccinate 12 million people? In other words, get everybody we can a first dose, extend it to 12 weeks, and then hopefully at the end of those 12 weeks, we'll have enough to give everybody the second dose. So that's going to be an interesting question. But at least the good news is we're in a position where we can sort of have that conversation. And then, again, that goes with the conversation of let's let's keep going on, on the easing of restrictions. And I think there, there's got to be that, that payoff. There's got to be that light at the end of the tunnel. And I think when health officials talk about, well, we're not sure if we're going to be able to ease restrictions, we've got to wait and see. And I, I don't think that's helpful. I think you got to give people hope, first of all. I think we got to be realistic about the really good news that we're already seeing in countries like Israel when it comes to, to the benefits of, of these vaccines. And it's, if it's going to encourage more people to get vaccines, then, then that's a positive too. So let's talk about that upside. Let's talk about the payoff. So on, on that point, here's uh, clip number two. This is uh, Canada's uh, Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Teresa Tam, addressing that today. We're very encouraged by some of the vaccine effectiveness data, as you've seen, coming out of the United Kingdom. And um, I think some of the basis upon which uh, some of those comments were made. Uh, but there were caveats to those comments to um, eat, uh, from, from the United Kingdom. Um, I do think vaccines play an absolutely key uh, role in our return to um, you know, clo closer to what the life that we have known. And I think as many people as possible getting vaccinated means that resurgence then becomes less likely. Um, and it will, it, even before September, I think depending on a number of factors such as vaccine uptake, ongoing uh, monitoring of the variants and how vaccine coverage um, is provided uh, as the, uh, 
that the virus could always change over time, of course, but that I think um, we will see the ability to shift some of those public health measures as the months go by. Um, and September is a target, of course, for as many Canadians as uh, who wants a vaccine getting vaccinated. Um, but I do think that uh, the vaccine will play a critical role in easing uh, of public health measures. The key is to get the vaccine levels, vaccination levels high so that we reduce the chances of those, uh, you know, massive upswings in, um, in, in, in resurgence. Um, in order to uh, keep society going. So that is absolutely the goal. But I think, um, you know, you, you can't put an absolute date on one of these things, but uh, having had uh, everybody getting the vaccine, uh, that is a massive step towards uh, returning to uh, a no more normal uh, life. Well, I would say keeping up with your personal, you know, protective measures. Um, the idea is not, to, to reduce the need to have the more restrictive um, public health measures in the community. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I remain uh, really very hopeful, but we have to go with the data as we, as, as the science evolves as well. Okay, there's uh, the answer from Dr. Tam. We've got to take a break here. We'll come back. We can close out with uh, more time for your calls here, 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Well, welcome back. Rob Breckenridge sitting in uh, here today, this week, next week. Got some time for your calls here as we uh, wind things down this afternoon. Again, 403-974-TALK is our number. This is Peter. Peter, good afternoon. Well, well I'm thinking, you know, if, if vaccines are the answer, uh, we've got six companies in Canada that are capable of making it, and uh, and we've got a, probably a million square feet in Calgary that is of warehouse space that could be converted into factories. And we got a federal government that's just dragging its feet. And, and, and the fact that they're just dragging their feet is almost criminal. Yeah, yeah, yeah Peter, appreciate the phone call. I mean, yeah, look, I, I think some opportunities were missed last year, clearly. And, and I, I think you make an argument the government dropped the ball. We could be a lot further ahead when it comes to domestic vaccine production. Ultimately, I mean, if, if Pfizer and Moderna or Johnson & Johnson where if they're able to supply us with the vaccines we need, at least for now, it might seem like a bit of a moot point. And maybe we can finally catch up because I think we're going to need a lot of this production going forward. At the same time, too, right? I mean, you know, I, I think some of these companies could have been further along. Would they have had an approved vaccine by this point? I, I don't know. And so I think that, that's that's part of it, too, because just because Pfizer says we have a vaccine doesn't necessarily mean that someone can make Pfizer's vaccine for them. That's really Pfizer's call. So that that's part of the challenge, too. And from what it sounds like, the federal government tried to convince some of those companies to make vaccines here and were unsuccessful. I think they finally now have convinced Novavax, which is another one that's not yet been approved, but perhaps down the road, Novavax will begin making some vaccines in Canada. That That's part of the challenge, too, I think. Uh, this is Howie. Howie, welcome to the program. Thanks for taking my call, Rob. Um, I, I couldn't believe yesterday Dr. Dina Hinshaw on, on the program at the end of the day there when she's typically browbeating Albertans. Um, she contributed low case counts to vaccinations. Um, I, I was just a, a, I couldn't believe it. You know, well, what was the, the exact even, quote? Because I, I saw some data that, that shows. OK, go ahead. The exact quote was that she was. She said that due to vaccinate, uh, low case counts were due to Albertans social distancing, 
following the rules and vaccinations. Right. And it, through vaccinations on the back end of everything else. And it's it's a it's 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 a magnifying glass on how how the government is in denial of their own uh, inefficiencies, uh, their their shortfalls on on everything that they've that, that they've done to operate and, and, and man, manage ourselves through this. And on top of that, you just mentioned about you know maybe giving twelve million doses and then hoping it works out. That's just absolute recklessness. The government's already proved to us they cannot conduct themselves the way they need to and they're not capable of getting things done so i think that would be extremely reckless to 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 say okay well maybe we could make this work no wrong decision sorry not i'd fire everybody who thought that way if you were working for me the government can't get it done so don't count on them to get it done and uh that's all i have to say thanks rob okay how we appreciate the phone call uh, again, and, and just regarding what, what Hinshaw said, and unless I'm, I'm thinking of a different quote than what Howie heard, because look, I, I don't think Alberta's chief medical officer of health is, is necessarily out there apologizing for it for the federal government. But I think her point was that because we've, we've managed to vaccinate most people in long-term care, at least in, in provincial long-term care sites, that that's part of the reason why cases have come down substantially in those settings. So no, I don't think it would make sense to say, and I don't think she did, to say that the reasons why cases are down in the general population is because of vaccines, because obviously hardly anybody in the general population at this point has been vaccinated. But I do think it's it's fair to look at the impact it has had on long-term care centers and those numbers are down, and that was something that, that she was definitely trumpeting yesterday. So I, I think that's what she was alluding to. That would be my read on it, and, unless maybe I'm missing something. Because no, I, I mean, and if, if she's saying what Howie said she said, then that wouldn't make any sense. I mean, the reason why numbers have come down in Alberta is because of the measures they put in place, basically. So maybe vaccines have played a small role at least in terms of what we're seeing in long-term care centers, and maybe that's all she was trying to get across. So I, I don't think she's overstating the impact of vaccines at this point. I, I think you are seeing where it has had some impact in, in long-term care. And in fact, it's, you know, it's prompted a conversation. There was a story uh, from Post Media today, just on those lines. It says, infection rates among vulnerable care home residents who got the vaccine have plummeted in Alberta at a rate that brings excitement and relief. So when will it lead to family reunions? Infectious disease expert Lenora Saxinger uh, said it really is kind of amazing. So that's where the conversation's at, that we've got people in long-term care vaccinated. The numbers are down uh, in, in accordance with that. And so maybe we get to a point here where we can start to ease up on some of the restrictions in long-term care, because I think everybody recognizes how difficult this whole situation has been on those who live in long-term care and how isolating all of these restrictions has, has been. So if we're able to vaccinate those residents and bring those numbers down, that, that probably can and, and does affect the sort of restrictions you need to have in place. So that, that's, that's good news. That is definitely good news. So we're seeing lower numbers, a lot fewer outbreaks. Let's keep that going, right? Anyway, so I, my read on it is that what uh, that's what Dr. Hinshaw was referring to. We've we've managed to do that, and we're we're seeing the payoff. So that that's a positive development. 
Anyway, 403-974-8255. Like I said, we're going to talk a bit more about all of this on the program tomorrow. Um, the question of do we delay the, the second dose? Does it make sense to get as many vaccines into as many arms as possible, as quickly as possible? You know, we could do 12 million Canadians by June, potentially. There's certainly a lot of benefit that comes with the first dose. That would have some broader payoff in terms of bringing cases down even further. But then what assurances do we have that we'll have enough doses 12 weeks later to give everybody the second dose? That takes us into, I guess, September, wouldn't it? which is what the government is talking about, but those are assurances. And do we get ourselves into a situation like how we said, where we're counting on a certain number of vaccines being there? As we've seen over the first couple of months here with the vaccine rollout, there are no guarantees when it comes to vaccine availability. I mean, the good news is what we're hearing from companies like Pfizer, especially even now Moderna, uh, their ability to, to make vaccines is improving consistently. And each time they come up with new forecasts, it's it's even more optimistic. Pfizer's talking about even potentially a total of 2 billion doses of vaccine that they're going to be able to generate this year. Like, that, that's massive. But again, we still got to be careful about assumptions here, I think is how he said. So it, it does create a bit of a dilemma, though. That if we know we're going to get to a certain number of vaccines by a certain date, does it make sense to sit on half of the vaccines that, that arrive here? You know, on the one hand, you have the certainty of, of a second dose available. On the other hand, there's the uncertainty of what might lie ahead. But like I said, we'll get into that tomorrow. Uh, just in our time remaining here, I want to take a quick second to say a big thanks to our Hero of the Month for the month of February. 770-CHQR saluting Wade Kozak of the Kozak Financial Group, CIBC Woodgundy, for their very generous support of the Calgary Children's Foundation, the Kozak Financial Group. Big believers in giving back to the community. Their donation to the Calgary Children's Foundation helps to support programs that help kids who are facing challenges, be they physical, developmental, financial, or social. That's why they are our Hero of the Month for the month of February. Again, a big thanks to Wade Kozak of the Kozak Financial Group, CIBC Woodgundy. Uh, also coming up on the program tomorrow, we're going to be speaking with the uh, Commissioner of the Alberta Junior Hockey League, who will talk a bit about the announcement this week. Uh, the province has partnered with the WHL and the AJHL uh, to set up a 50-50 lottery to support junior hockey in Alberta. And it's been uh, a difficult stretch, obviously, for the AJHL starting their season in the fall and hoping maybe that they could complete that season, maybe get fans back in at some point. Everything had to shut down, of course, uh, into November and, and December and January. Well, then in February, the AJHL is about to get going in March here. So we'll talk a bit about their plans for a restart, uh, how this 50-50 uh, jackpot is going to support junior hockey. So uh, Ray Bartoshek, he's the commissioner of the AJHL. He's going to join us uh, coming up on the program tomorrow. So we'll find out a bit more about that. Also, we're going to be speaking with Janice McKinnon. Remember the McKinnon uh, report uh, with the public uh, School of Public Policy, University of Calgary, former Saskatchewan finance minister. And she's got some interesting thoughts on, on the question of taxes and whether Alberta has a revenue problem in addition to a spending problem. The Business uh, Council of Alberta raising that issue last week. We'll hear from Janice McKinnon on tomorrow's program as well. So we've got plenty in store for you tomorrow. That's where we got to leave it for today, though. Angela Cocott is in after the 1230 News. My name is Rob Breckenridge. We will talk to you tomorrow morning at 930. Take care. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.